SumaUp is next-gen body optimization from an actual doctor that's guaranteed to get you in the best shape of your life in 90 days. You'll be at peak levels for each of the fundamentals that drive your strength, energy, and even your longevity. It's a lifelong difference you'll see in the mirror, but also feel throughout your entire day. SumaUp puts more living in life. For full details on this transformative program designed for the demanding lives of today's highest achieving entrepreneurs and CEOs, visit www.startsuma.com. Hey guys, it's Dr. Ryan, and today we're going to talk a little bit about a topic that is uncomfortable for many patients, um, both uh, literally as well as emotionally to talk about, and that is uh, herpes um, infections. And we're going to really focus primarily on the herpes uh, viruses that cause the vast majority of morbidity in the health, otherwise healthy adult population. That would be HSV-1, 2, as well as varicella zoster virus, VZV. And um, we will also talk about conventional ways of treating it, but also some ways that you may not be aware of that will incorporate some of the training I had in functional medicine through the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine and talking about supplements as well as some alternative therapies that you may not have considered in the past. So hopefully this will be helpful. Okay, so how to deal with herpes. So let's go ahead and do a quick overview. Herpes and shingles are caused by the same family of virus, the herpes viridae family, and it contains eight viruses, eight human herpes viruses, and herpes simplex virus 1 and 2 are human, human herpes virus 1 and 2. Varicella zoster virus is human herpes virus 3. And then 4 through 8 correspond to other viruses that are found in a wide variety of patients, ranging from transplant patients like cytomegalovirus to pediatrics like herpes virus 6 and 7, and AIDS patients like herpes virus, a human herpes virus 8. But as we talked about, we're going to focus on herpes simplex virus 1, 2, and uh, varicella zoster virus. Now, 90% of the U.S. population is exposed to herpes simplex virus 1 because many of us have had the, uh, you know, the somewhat uncomfortable experience of having a cold sore, and that's herpes simplex virus 1. 32% of the U.S. population is likely going to develop shingles later in life, according to some epidemiologic studies. And this, of course, is secondary to varicella zoster virus. And um, one thing to point out is it's a sneaky virus. It lays dormant in your body and can be reactivated under certain conditions. And it does so through something called the latent associated transcript. And we'll talk about that in, the, in a bit. And it tends to get reactivated under certain conditions like injury, emotional stress, fever, sunlight exposure, menstrual periods, and decline in immune function. And that's primarily due with shingles, but can occur with HSV 1 and 2 as well. As we talked about, HSV 1 and 2 as well as shingles cause the vast majority of morbidity in the healthy adult population. Again, we're going to focus on those three. So how exactly does it infect you? Well, the viruses interact with epithelial cells, so on receptors on your skin cells, and then they are uh, brought in, they enter within the membrane, and they go to the nucleus. And within the nucleus, they are, um, they undergo the process of transcription, create viral proteins, and then replicate, and are, and then through a process of ingress, are released through the cell, 
and they do this multiple times again and again and again. During this time period, you oftentimes will get the uh, vesicle appearance, right? Now, there are certain individuals that um, don't have an overt infection or don't have the vesicles when they first get infected and instead they're asymptomatic. And those individuals, what occurs instead is the virus will infect the epithelium, but then uh, be transported up the nerves, sensory nerves to a ganglia. And this would be for herpes lymphatics virus one. And this particular ganglia, just a nerve root or several um, where nerve connections occur. And it will, it will move up towards this particular ganglia, this is the trigeminal ganglia uh, near the, the mandible. And uh, it will um, stay dormant. And it utilizes um, a particular code called a latent associated transcript, which allows it to stay dormant for some time and then reactivate during certain, under certain conditions, as we talked about sickness, stress, menstrual periods, many things, right? Immunosuppression. And during those uh, certain conditions, it will then migrate down the nerve and um, infect, reinfect the epithelium, cause the vesicles, right? Replicate and uh, uh, potentially um, once the vesicles have not, if they have been crusted over, be infectious, right? particularly when they burst. Um, let's first talk a little bit about shingles. Shingles is caused by varicella zoster virus, and that is the same virus that causes chickenpox in children. Uh, as um, we become adults, the varicella zoster virus lies dormant in sensory ganglia of the spinal nerves, uh, particularly that correspond to dermatomes, and we'll talk about that in a second. And anyway, so that stays dormant, and it reactivates the shingles in adults um, particularly when they become immunocompromised. And usually that's when they are elderly. Uh, Chickenpox is uh, somewhat annoying, but fairly benign um, in children, that is. And I had it. Uh, you'll get usually the rash will last 10 to 14 days, 21 days in some extreme cases. You'll get several fluid full blisters. They'll crust over in that time period and you're done. You're very infectious and you are infectious even prior to the blisters uh, appearing. And uh, the reason why it's so infectious is you can spread it via sneezing and coughing. Shingles, on the other hand, is much less contagious and is very, very low if the blisters are covered. And it's most commonly found in the elderly, but it can occur in any age, particularly those who are immunocompromised. And here's a cartoon <laughs> looking at a, a chicken. Uh, it's kind of depicting the chicken pox and talking to this um, older individual saying, hey, we're back. And we're back is varicella zoster. And just to... Um, Emphasize the point, varicella zoster becomes latent in the nerve ganglia, those nerve roots, and then reactivates years later in a particular dermatome, a particular area of the skin that's innervated by that particular spinal nerve as shingles. What about herpes? Well, herpes is caused by herpes simplex virus 1 and herpes simplex virus 2. And they manifest as cold sores, uh, herpes keratitis, which can actually infect the cornea, and general herpes. Herpes simplex 1 typically is oral as well as can infect the cornea, herpes simplex keratitis. However, it can cause general herpes, particularly if one engages in oral sex and uh, it's spread via skin-to-skin -skin contact. Herpes simplex 2 is primarily involved in general herpes and is spread via sexual contact. And um, 
you develop these fluid field blisters, which uh, when unless requested over, you're highly infectious. However, here's the kicker. You can't be infectious at any time because there are some patients who are asymptomatic, but they're still shedding virus. So, it, you know, it's important to, to recognize this if you are diagnosed with herpes to, to be very open about this and say, hey, you know, I have the infection because even if you don't have the blisters, you may pass it on. Stress, sun exposure, fatigue, fever can trigger a reactivation. But here's the weird part. Some people are, are infected, but they never have outbreaks. Whereas others, it can be pretty significant. It can have, happen monthly. But both, despite if you are, if you have the vesicles or if you don't, are able to infect others. And here's an example of the vesicles right along the lips, corner of the mouth. So it'd be HSV1. And here's an example of general herpes. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the genitals. Many times it can be on the buttocks, the perineum, the area between um, your uh, anus as well and your, um, and your genitals. Uh, and then uh, obviously it can be on the genitals, your scrotum, penis, vagina, labia. So um, very uncomfortable, very painful. What are some of the causes, risks, and the risk factors? Well, so number one, uh, both of these disorders are caused by an initial infection. So you have to be initially infected with varicella zoster virus or HSV1 or 2, right? So shingles, typically when you're, it tends to occur in the older population, we think it's secondary to your immunosenescence or just slowing of the immune system. But it can occur in individuals that have suppressed immune systems. So think people like uh, who have organ transplants, HIV or AIDS, transplant patients, patients on long-term corticosteroids, which you know, suppress the immune system. Herpes, on the other hand, uh, well, with HSV, there are no real risk factors except just increasing age because you'll be exposed to more people that have it. And 90% of the U.S. population likely is infected with HSV-1. And as we talked about, if HSV-1 can cause genital herpes, but it's primarily through oral sex. HSV-2 is primarily through sexual activity, and uh, it is primarily transmitted through skin-to-skin -skin contact through active symptomatic lesions that are not crusted over. That's a very strong risk for transmission, but you can transmit it at any time because as we talked about, asymptomatic carriers, people that don't have those lesions or the vesicles can still shed the virus. Unfortunately, females seem to be more prone to developing herpes, as well as individuals have an increased amount of partners, obviously higher exposure. What are some of the signs? Well, for shingles, you'll get this proto, which is basically a uh, initial sign of pain, burning, throbbing, stabbing. It's going to be in the area of the skin where your rash is going to be. It usually occurs five days before the rash. It may include headache, uh, just a general feeling of being unwell, earwakes, sensitivity to light. And then the rash starts, and it's small reddish lesions that turn to fluid-filled blisters, which then crust and scab. Remember, when they crust and scab, you're much less likely to be infectious. You may experience allodynia, some pain with just a mild or brushing contact to the skin, just putting your shirt on, it causes a tremendous amount of pain. And it seems to be located to the derm uh, dermatomes. So these are the stripe of skin innervated by nerves to from the ganglion. And this is a this is a good um, this is a good uh, diagram that demonstrates the dermatomes right here. And you can see 
uh, here are the spinal nerves, your C1, C2, C3. These are all the nerves coming off the spinal cord that correspond, of course, to the vertebrae. And you can see that C2 uh, innervates the back of the head and right near the mandible. C3 is right near your collar. C4 is uh, near the trapezius. C5 is uh, right along the shoulders as well as the more uh, lateral aspect of the of the outside or towards the outside of the um, of the forearm, and then uh, T four is right on the nipples. T ten is around the umbilicus. So, what happens is the the varicella zoster virus will infect in one of the ganglia associated with these nerves, and then reactivate in that particular area. And what's interesting is it seems to be unilateral, one sided. So in this particular case, this is probably right around, because it's right around the nipple area, so probably right around T4, T3. That's where the virus likely infected. And unfortunately, this this uh, lady's had some pretty severe uh, lesions here. It's been very, very painful. And then uh, in, in this particular case, this is um, an individual who had it right along his scalp. And uh, you can kind of see in this, in, in this case, this would be more along the lines of uh, C2. And unfortunately, so uh, in this particular case, in this particular case, you can see that the herpes, um, the varicella zoster virus has affected the facial nerve and it's unilateral and the issue with this is it can actually affect the cornea and that can lead to blindness in severe cases. The good thing is it takes about two to four weeks to heal and uh, then you know uh, there are certain medications we'll talk about antivirals can help reduce the length of the uh, lesions and potentially prevent recurrence. On the other hand, with herpes, it tends to, as we talked about, affect the oral and general regions. Uh, herpes simplex one is in the mouth uh, and uh, the lips primarily, and it can affect the tongue. You get the same sort of prodromal period, itch, tingle, and burn. And the blisters can last up to 14 days. With general herpes, it's usually a herpes simplex virus two, but sometimes herpes simplex virus one, it can occur in the penis, anus, buttocks, vagina, both inside and outside. It may or may not cause pain, many times it does, and it can lead to fatigue, muscle aches, pain with urination, vaginal discharge, and you also get the prodromal period, much like you do with varicella zoster and HSV-1. Um, with HSV-1, it can also spread to your cornea and cause pain and sensitivity light, as well as cloudy uh, vision, and in severe cases, blindness. And then unfortunately, um, herpes uh, simplex, one or two can break and uh, can actually enter through breaks in your skin on your fingers and cause what is known as herpetic whitlow. And this is something that healthcare workers in particular have to be concerned about, uh, which is why it's very important to wear gloves all the time when dealing with individuals who, or particularly when dealing with um, during uh, working with individuals near the mouth or uh, near the genitals, because. Uh, they may be shedding herpes virus and you may be infected, particularly if you have an abrasion. And then 
in pretty extreme cases, herpes simplex virus can travel to the CNS and cause encephalitis and lead to fevers, confusion, and seizures, but it's very rare. And so this is a good example of an individual as herpes simplex one, uh, right near the lips. Here's an individual likely has herpes simplex two, although we know it might be herpes simplex one on his buttocks. And then this is her herpetic Whitlow. Okay, so diagnosis. Well, uh, with shingles, it's primarily a, a clinical diagnosis. And, um, you know, you'll see it along a particular uh, dermatome and you'll go ahead and uh, treat it, right? Uh, if they're immunocompromised, sometimes you may want to go ahead and check the vesicle contents and do PCR testing. So I'll scrape a vesicle and uh, assay it uh, and do PCR testing to ensure that it is herpes simplex. With uh, herpes, uh, or it is varicella zoster, with herpes, on the other hand, um, it's similar. If it's just a simple cold sore, many times, you know, patients will just go ahead and treat it. However, if it's uh, general lesions, um, they'll typically do, uh, if you can see the vesicles, they'll scrape them and do PCR testing, although sometimes they will do antibody testing as well, uh, particularly if the individual's asymptomatic at the time, but has had lesions in the past. Okay, conventional treatment. Well, there are antivirals. So these are some of the things that all of us are kind of familiar with, acyclovir, so Varax, Famcyclovir, Famvir, and Valcyclovir, Valtrex. Um, Famcyclovir and Valcyclovir seem to be uh, scripted much more commonly because you only have to dose them three times a day versus five times a day. And they usually give you benefit during that initial prodrome period where you feel the pain and the very initial presentation of the vesicles. Once they start to crest, you don't really get a tremendous amount of benefit. And sometimes patients will be on these long-term to prevent recurrence. They get continuous um, infections, continuous uh, lesions or outbreaks. NSAIDs and Tylenol, as well as capsaicin creams. So this is a compound from peppers. And it seems to, once you apply it to the area of blisters, uh, it seems to really help with the pain because it depletes the nerve, of a particular substance, a particular neurotransmitter, substance P, which is correlated with pain transmission. And here's a drug that's really interesting, cimetidine. So this is uh, kind of an old school drug that's utilized for heartburn. You can get it over the counter. And there's a couple of studies that have suggested that it may help with herpes. Um, they're a little bit on the older side, here's one right here, 1990, that suggests that it's an interesting immunomodulator and it may provide therapeutic benefits for patients with varicella zoster and herpes simplex infections. This is a review article. And what they looked at were several patients that were treated that had um, zoster as well as herpes simplex virus infections and were treated with, low, uh, with um, anywhere from 600 to 800 milligrams of cementamine daily for seven to 10 days. And they found that it seemed to reduce the length of the infection as well as the uh, pain associated with the infection. The issue though, seems to be, it causes some level of immunosuppression. So there was a concern that uh, it, uh, it may not be a good idea to utilize it in patients with organ transplant and autoimmune disorders. However, there were a couple of articles that were done that did just that. Like here's a uh, letter to the editor in the Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology in which these two um, dermatologists from uh, 
with Columbia University and the University of Texas, uh, MD Anderson, had actually done that. They utilized um, cimetidine in profoundly immunocompromised patients. And they found that uh, they got pretty significant improvement in extensive herpes simplex virus infections. Um, so there is some uh, benefit for sure in it. So uh, a good idea, if you'd like to try it, would, would be 200 milligrams four times a day, and you do it for about seven days. Remember, cementine's over the counter, and you may find some benefit with it. That's a picture of cementine. And then in terms of vaccines, there is a varicella zoster vaccine, and, and it's likely to reduce the risk of transmission of uh, varicella zoster 60% older patients, but there is no vaccine for herpes simplex 1 and 2, unfortunately. What about some integrative therapies? Well, uh, the key thing to remember from my point of view is you want to, uh, number one, reduce your stress and improve your immune system. So that's where the we're going to focus our modalities on. So stress reduction. So cool baths, wet compresses when you have the lesions to try to make, uh, make things feel better. Consider using the capsaicin cream as well as NSAIDs and Tylenol if need be. Look at Cimenity. It's over the counter. You might want to try it. Um, switching your diet, using a diet that's anti-inflammatory. Look at the autoimmune protocol diet or the paleo diet, reduce gluten, reduce dairy or eliminate them, reduce nightshade vegetables, as well as try to reduce meats that are high in saturated fat. These all have seemed to help individuals that have been suffering from recurrent herpes lesions. One way to minimize the length of time the blisters are present is to keep the sores clean and dry. So don't touch or scratch them. Don't be like I was when I got the chicken pox. Um, just, you know, do your very best and wash them with saline. And then in terms of supplements, look for supplements that are going to improve your immune system. Vitamin C, really powerful antioxidant, has natural antiviral properties and modulates certain interleukins that are associated with inflammation, IL-6 and 8. So taking 10,000 milligrams during the outbreak for those you know, six to seven days, taking that daily. And then a thousand milligrams, if you're someone that's prone to getting re recurrent infections, would be a really good idea. Reishi uh, mushroom. So this particular supplement has antiviral properties as well. And it's due to this particular proteoglycan, Gananoderba lucidum proteoglycan, or GLPG, and acidic protein brown polysaccharide, ABBP. Those two, GLPG and ABBP, um, those two together have shown pretty strong antiviral activities. So in studies, uh, they've utilized uh, somewhere close to 1,000 milligrams daily with food, and it seems to have reduced uh, the length of herpes uh, viral outbreaks. Vitamin A is a potent oxidant and can reduce viral shedding, so that can help with uh, transmission, reduce transmission. And this is uh, a really important deal if... Uh, you know, you have herpes virus and you have a partner and you'd not like to spread it to uh, him or her. So taking 5,000 IU daily with food is a good idea. I'm a huge fan of vitamin D, important for calcium absorption, immunomodulation. It's, uh, it's a steroid as well. It has many functions within the body. But one thing it does is it really seems to cause uh, to um, cause Th2 optimization versus Th1, which has a very uh, powerful immunomodulatory effect which can help in particular with um, herpes lesions. So taking 10,000 IU daily with food has been uh, shown to help reduce the, uh, the um, 
the amount of outbreaks in individuals affected with HSV2. And then finally, zinc. So zinc uh, seems to inhibit, has been shown in some studies to inhibit 98% of replication of HSV1. It's been pretty effective at preventing HSV2 from entering cells. So definitely another thing to add into your arsenal. And um, you can use the zinc oxide topical in treating the lesions. And you can take the oral version. There's zinc lozenges, 30 milligrams three times daily with food in the midst of a outbreak. So those are just some, uh, those are my thoughts on what you can, can do if you are suffering from herpes. Uh, this would of course be the shingles as well as, so varicella zoster causing shingles or uh, herpes secondary to herpes simplex one and two. Uh, and um, has probably given you some education as to how to approach them. Thanks for watching and we'll see you in the next video.